Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Everyone, so nice to see you all, and uh, can we thank the team, and Steve, thank you. Thank you, Bill, thank you. You have a seat, you can, uh, you can remove your masks, and uh, how many of you are hot? Woo! It's 160 days until Christmas. I, I, it's true, it's true. I, I, so if you're, if you're really, really hot, ask Steve, we're up here, it's hot, these lights, and, but if you're really hot, you should play the drums. Yeah, ah, uh, drummer, yeah? John is not a drummer. Tone it down. Tone it down. No, it, it can be warm, but we're grateful. If you're watching, maybe you're watching from somewhere else. Today is a warm day for us, and we don't get many warm days, so we're going to take the days when we get them. We're really thankful for a chance to learn together, to grow together. If you trickled in just a little bit later, maybe you're watching online, you know, it's a little bit of a you know, a tighter morning for us because there's a bike race and we're trying to work with the city and uh, the people are here. So really thankful for all of you just doing that. We mentioned that earlier. And, and because it's a bike race, my sermon has to be shorter. So all of you know what that means, right? <laughs> all of us can say bye to Will because we're going to miss him. He's not going to be here next week. No, I, have to, I, I just have to preach faster. I have to speak faster. Now, I usually speak very slow. So it's going to be... All the haters are here. Oh, they're all here. This church, this church. No, I'm going to try to just uh, be on track, but uh, we're going to get you out here in a little while. But we're like excited because we've been in a teaching series. Really, it's a summer teaching series to help us think about what it means to grow up. And I don't know if you ever thought about this. I, I said this a little while ago. Is that a fan for me? That's amazing. Wow, whoever thought of that? May the blessings of the Lord just... <laughs> Thanks, bro. Uh, Uh, but, but we've been in this teaching series to think about the difference between growing old and growing up. You know, to grow old just happens. Like, you're just going to grow old. I'm getting older, right? We just grow old. But to grow up is different. And in the Bible, when you, when you understand what it means to follow Jesus, the idea of growing up is usually kind of shaped in this idea of becoming mature. Becoming mature, not just being like wise, just not being older, not just being friendly, but being mature in a way that our lives model the way Jesus would have lived and the way he would want us to live. And this, all of you know this, this doesn't just happen by mistake. It won't just happen one day. It actually happens because we commit to surrendering our lives to grow and to trust the Holy Spirit's work in us to make us people who are growing up in our faith. We're maturing in our faith. We're understanding our faith in deeper ways. And if you were here last week, you know that we started this series called Rethinking Maturity. And, you know, we talk about how all of us have a category for what we think some means to be mature. You know, I think of maturity and I think of like a grandparent. Maybe you think of a, just a wise grandparent who loves the family and they're like, they're a mature person. You know, we all have in our culture different ideas for maturity. But last week I, I told you that the Bible's view of maturity comes with this idea of a fruit. When a fruit is mature, it means it's ripe to be used. 
And at the same time, the biblical idea of a fruit that is ripe, also you know this, hopefully not that well, but if a fruit in your house is ripe to be used and it is not used, it becomes rotten. And so there's this image in the Bible of maturity, of being the people who live into the things that God's calling us into. And when we ignore that, we actually start to be people who actually give the world a negative view of what it means to be those who follow Jesus because our lives are not shaped in the ways that Jesus would have called us to live. And so we all want to pay attention to this in our lives. We want to kind of think about what does this mean? And I want to give you a very simple way of thinking about it in a different way, okay? I think no matter who you are, no matter where you're watching from when you watch this, we would all say, that if you meet somebody mature, there's someone you should respect. How many of you would say a mature person is someone you should respect, right? Almost everybody would be like, yeah, it's kind of like the basic bottom denominator of like how to live with other people. You respect someone who's mature. You just want to respect them. Like I have a certain custom in my culture. You know, if you walk into a room and there's someone who's there who's an elder or mature, you just respect them. You maybe, how many of you would go see them first? In the room, anybody, if you're in a room where there's somebody who's more mature, you sometimes go see them first. You know, I once didn't do that, and I heard about it. So, you know, you realize you crossed the line that nobody knew was there, but it was there. You're like, I should have done that first, right? But the Bible invites us to think of maturity just in a, a, a step, just a bit further. That it's not enough to think of maturity as someone we respect. If you're taking notes, I want you to think about this for the rest of the series. To be spiritually mature is to be someone other people can imitate. Just think about that idea. It's not enough just to respect someone, that the Bible says to us, you need to be the kinds of people that live so anchored in who Jesus is calling you to be that other people could imitate you as they follow Jesus. Now, I know you feel like you're like, I don't know if I, like, I want that responsibility. Like, that's a big deal. I might mess up. If you were at a ministry partner meeting a few weeks ago, I used this verse, and I want to highlight it again about the early church, thinking about this kind of view of mature person that you can imitate. This is what it says. Remember your leaders. Remember those who cared for you, who encouraged you, who spoke the word of God to you. I don't know who comes to mind. Consider the outcome of the, of the way of life, of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Wow. So who are you imitating these days? Who's someone you imitate? I mean, when you're really, really young, if you have young kids, you know they're imitating everyone. You know, my kids want their hair cut like the famous soccer player. By the way, did Italy win the Euro last week? Did we win? I can't remember. I didn't watch it. Just slide that in there. Okay. So, like, when you have young kids, right, they imitate everyone. And as a parent, you're nervous because what if they imitate the wrong person? What if they don't get the right friends? What if they don't do the right thing? You're paying attention to this. But as you get older, you don't realize that to be a Christian is to be someone who lives in such a way that other people would imitate. And that in imitating us, they would fall in love with Jesus in a deeper way. They would actually become more like Jesus by imitating us. Now, let's just be honest. There's days when I don't want anybody to imitate me. And there's other days where there's a sense that God is saying, I'm calling you to be a person who's mature in such a way that things that I have for you, the gifts that I have for you, and the Bible talks about this fruit in us, is so contagious that other people say, I want to be like that person. There's something about them. Now, we don't, we don't imitate them to copy them because everybody is unique in some sense, but we imitate things that we see in them and we want, you know, just can I just say, we want our kids to do that in our lives. We want them to see something in us because if you're a parent or a grandparent, you know this, you can talk about Christianity all you want in the home, but the faith is caught before it's taught. Forever. Forever. Like, this will never change. The faith in Jesus is always caught by watching before it's taught to people. 
And this is still true today. That's why the Bible says, hey, you're going to have to be people that others can imitate. This is a challenge we have that people in the Bible didn't always have because they didn't have the internet. They didn't have the idea that I'm just going to watch a preacher that I like online that I never even met. The Bible says, no, no, no. If you hear somebody speak about the good news, if you hear someone teaching about the good news, find a way to watch how they live. And it doesn't say imitate how they preach, although you might become a preacher. It doesn't say just imitate what they say, but imitate their way of life. Do that. That's what it means to be a family. That's the church. That's what it means to be together and to learn to do that together. And sometimes, you know, I'm going to imitate some of you, see you in a difficult situation and be like, wow, I want to I grow to be like that person. It has nothing to do with age. It has to do with a type of maturity. You know, when we were uh, coming in this morning with my, one of my kids in the car, we got in, and as we were, we were getting in, you know, some of the kids were already racing with their bikes a bit. They were kind of doing their race. And I noticed something fascinating. There was a, I heard someone yelling on the street, and I thought they were yelling at me, and I was ready to be like, listen, uh, we're going to be done on time, you know, whatever. I was thinking about just all that stuff. And it was a dad riding next to their son on their bike and yelling at them, tight to the curve, tight to the curve. I was like, that's amazing. And I, I, I had this thought in my head. I'm like, I'm talking about this. What it means for a parent to tell their son, daughter, imitate me. I'm going to race with you. Imitate me. This is how you race. This is how you watch. This is what you do. I thought, imagine if did this. Imagine if we all committed to be people who are encouraging one another and saying, you're struggling with, you know, generosity. You're struggling with this, with lust. You're struggling with what it means to be joyful. hey, hey. Imitate me in this one. I'm just a little bit further. I've been through a difficult time. Just watch. This is how the Lord will help you. This is what we're learning to do, and this is what it means to rethink maturity in this way. And the Bible invites us to look at people who do this, old people and young people. If you want to see what it means to imitate a young, young person who's ready to be obedient no matter the cost, look at Mary, a 15-year-old girl who's going to be selected by God to be your favorite of God now imitate her. See, sometimes we forget this. We think, oh, when I'm older, I'll pretend to be mature. Or when, you know, when I'm kind of whatever. Or I'll just respect people. We're talking about the kind of maturity that's worth imitating. And we're going to do that by looking at a a, a section of the the New Testament that invites us to pay attention to certain fruit that grow in us. And I'm going to read it for you because especially if you were here last week, maybe kind of you remember this and I'm going to go over it and I'll explain. This is what it says. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, which we're going to talk about today, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's such a beautiful picture of the kinds of people we want to be. And throughout the summer, if you're on vacation, you're away, maybe you miss a Sunday, every week we're going to go, we're going to take some time and focus on one of these fruit. Okay? If you missed last week, it was kind of an introduction. You can watch it online. We talked about how important this is and why it's not fruits. It's just one fruit that flows out of us by the, the power of the Holy Spirit. But today I want to talk about peace. This week as I was preparing, I felt so restless. I was nervous about the race. I was thinking about the things for our church. I was thinking about the fall. I was thinking about being a parent. I was thinking about the bills. I was thinking, I was thinking, I was thinking. And I'm like, I don't Preaching about peace is going to be hard. I know sometimes it kind of looks like, oh, you know, whatever Don preaches about, he's doing. Not always. Some of you are here because you're teaching me 
what it means to trust God and to have this sense of peace. And obviously, all of us are learning what it means to be those who are in step with how the Spirit is doing that in us. You know, one of the signs that you've been gripped by the power of God in your lives, if you want to know, like, am I really a Christian? Am I serious enough? Is that to be a follower of Jesus is to want to be a person that surrenders to how the Spirit is changing us. If you don't want that, the Bible says you are grieving the Holy Spirit. To grieve the Holy Spirit is to say we love Jesus and we love the blessings of Jesus, but the life that Jesus is calling us to, we don't want that. The Bible always warns us about this because there's people who are following Jesus who try this. They're like, oh, we love this guy. It's like he does magic. He walks on water, he does some nice things, and Jesus is like, oh yeah, you should follow me to the cross. Minute. <laughs> Wait, did he say cross? Nicola, that's for you. Wait, a, hold up a second. All the way where? The cross. No, no, we like the other stuff. Make some bread. We love the blessings. And let me tell you, if you preach, you want to start a church and you want to talk about blessing every week, it'll be packed. Never say the cross. Because they're like, okay, this has got complicated. I'm not into this. We're talking about that kind of maturity. And I want to just help you understand this idea of peace as it's connected to becoming a mature person who's growing up in the faith. It's not easy. Because our world has all kinds of categories for peace, all kinds of ideas for what peace means, all kinds of concepts for what it means to, you know, to be in peace, have a sense of peace. You know, we use this language all the time. Just take a second, think about it in your mind. When you think of peaceful, what comes to mind? How many of you thought of that dumb Calm app that if I see one more time on my phone, I'm going to throw in the garbage? Anyone? You click it and it's just trees, birds. The person who made that app has no kids. <laughs> I wanted to put a note. I'm like, hey, bro. No one's yelling trying to burn the house down. When you think about peace, what comes to mind? How many of you think of vacation? Just get away. <sighs> How many of you think of the spa? Spa people? Get out of here, spa people. <laughs> the spa. What do you think of peace? Like, we live in a world that sells peace all the time. Oh, we got peace. You know, I joke around. Like, you could buy a car and it shuts you down. It makes you invisible so nobody can see you. Like, we, we're selling peace. Peace in a world of restlessness. You're restless? Yeah, we got peace. And, and as we think about this idea of peace, calm, a spa, relax, get away. The image of our world for peace is how we get away from all the problems of the world. How we find a place away from the kids, away from work, away from our family, away, away, away. I want you to think of this image of peace from the world, which is moving away from problems. The Bible's image of peace is a kind of peace that moves you into the problem. No one's ready for this. No one's ready for how the Bible redefines peace. And if we're not careful, we start to think of peace the way the world talks about peace. We're like, oh, I'll have peace when all my problems are gone. Never going to happen. I'll have peace when my kids are grown up. Woo! I'll have peace if I find the right person to marry. Oh, then I'll be at peace. I'll, I'll be, you know, it's, it's going to be great. Try that. Try. We have a hotline at the church for that. We have all these ideas for peace. It's going to be peace. I want to just show you a minute in the Bible where the people of God feel no peace. Everybody say, no peace. Okay, say it again. No peace. I got to retrain you to kind of talk to me. It's just because it's been a while. Okay. There's no peace. So I'm going to read 
this verse, these few verses from the Bible. It's a passage from the Old Testament. And when I'm done reading these verses, all of you are going to say, ready? Super easy. Somebody next to you was dozing off. They're just so mad now. Okay, so good. Too bad. That's what it says. God writes to his people in this book of Jeremiah who are experiencing slavery. They're experiencing God's, the, 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 just the exile of, of wondering where God is in their lives. They feel alone and abandoned. And this is what we're told. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem, he's a prophet of God, to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all of the people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Fail. All of you failed that. <laughs> when you read this in your Bible, if you're taking notes, on the side you would write, this is crazy. That this is a prophet of God writing to people who trusted God, who were trying to be obedient to God, and now they are wondering, where is our God? And how are we slaves in Babylon? Babylon was, a, was a, one of the nations of this time period. If you were in our Bible study, you remember some of this. They were a nation in the, in the time period that God uses to teach his people a lesson because they had been disobedient. And what God does, he says, you're going to understand what it's like to experience what it's like to sit under another nation who now controls everything about you. Can you imagine? Like, there's people, like today, like I get upset if I have to wear my mask sometimes, right? Imagine if you lived in a time where people told you when you can drink, when you can wake up, when you can eat, when you can walk. All the categories that we have, we have no idea what it would be to be the people of God who get a letter. Imagine, they get a letter from Jeremiah. Okay, this is going to be great. It's going to be great. What do, they, what do you think they're praying this letter says? That God is going to help them experience peace, and he's going to take them out of being slaves, right? Remember the movement I told you? How do we just get out of this problem so that we can have peace? Because when I get out of my problem, I'm going to have peace. It's, that's the movement, right? That's not what the letter from Jeremiah says. This is from the prophet of God to the people who feel no peace. That's what it says. This is what the Lord of the heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all of the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. What? I would be losing my mind. I'd be like, that's a false prophet. Jeremiah is not telling us the truth. God says, I know you think that peace will happen when I just make things better. I know you want and maybe you've prayed for peace to come because you're not going to be slaves anymore and I'm going to destroy the Babylonians. But Jeremiah says, that's not what God wants you to do. God wants you to be those who now model what it's like that you have a peace that helps you be my people in this storm now. So you know what? Enjoy life. Just start like a family. You know how many people have been like, start a family. I'm not starting a family. I can't wait to get out of here. It's ridiculous. I hate these people. Why are we even here? I, you know, I grew up with this view of peace in my mind. I grew up with a view of peace, that peace is to be a person who can't wait for God to take us out of the world. Any of you have that? It's an escapist view of peace. Every day you wait 
for like, I don't know, a spaceship to come out of the sky and suck you up, right? And, and you pray for that. And the rhythm of the Bible is really different sometimes. Like there's going to be a time when God's kingdom is going to come and we're going to experience that peace at the end. But until then, learn to be those who have a type of view of peace when God says, be my people now here. And not only that, that as you live this way, pray and see how your peace and my prosperity blesses the people that you hate. Get out of here. Who wrote this? This is ridiculous. I know so many people would be like, I'm never doing this. I'm, this, is, this is impossible. God's like, this is the prophet Jeremiah speaking to you now. Be those who trust God in that way. And I struggled for so many years about how to be, you know, we, we use this idea, how to be in the world, but what? Not of the world, right? And, you know, I, that, I understood that a little bit, but then I was like, I can't wait to, like, leave everything. I can't wait to run away. I can't wait till I can just, and God's like, no, the movement is that I'm giving you peace while you're there. I'm teaching you to have peace while you're present there in a world that should see you doubt your God, doubt your faith, walk away, quit, say all of this is garbage, look how bad your life is. God's like, I have peace. I have a peace for you. A peace that's not only for you, but it will overflow out of you to even the surrounding people around you that don't know me yet. This is something that they see in me or in you that they would want to imitate. Like, how do you have this peace? What is this idea of peace? So let me just go just a little bit further, okay? Just a tiny bit further so you understand. This peace that I'm talking about is not a feeling. It's not that you feel it's a peaceful day today. It's not that you feel it's going to be calm because you, you're not busy at work. The biblical word for peace in the Hebrew Bible is the word shalom. Everyone say shalom. And I actually have a slide for you to help you understand it better. You can go to the slide. Shalom equals peace in the Bible. And this is what the word peace means in the Bible. It means wholeness. It means restoration. It means healing. It means to be complete. That's what the Bible invites us to, to have in our lives, to feel a sense of being complete because God has called us to be in a place that although everything around us doesn't feel like it's the way we want it to be, he's like, careful, I'm making something whole in you. I'm healing something in you. I have a peace for you that you can hold on to. Even when everything in you wants to run away, God says, no, no, my peace is available for you here. And the Holy Spirit produces that peace in us. That's what Christians are going to learn. We live in a world where peace, oftentimes for all of us, is kind of just how we feel on a certain day. Right? Or, you know, peace, I'll have peace when things are, you know, the way I expected them to be. Expectations. I said it earlier about, like, couples, but this is the time of year when, as a pastor, I'm usually doing, like, a lot of weddings. Like, a lot of people are getting married. Right? So, some of you, thinking about that, we can do that. <laughs> Renewing vows, right? And oftentimes, I meet with couples, and in the, in the pre-marriage time, they'll often say, this. I'll say, you know, tell me how you met. You know, just think about, like, you met somebody you love, and you know, they tell me this story, oh, I love this person, and, you know, they'll kind of, like, express, you know, they're, they're going to be my best friend, and oftentimes, they'll go through the vows that, you know, they're going to share at their wedding, and they'll be like, well, the reason I'm with this person is because they complete me. Have you ever heard that? This person completes me, and I'm like, pause right there. What did you say? They're like, yeah, this person completes me, and I realize right away how that becomes the way people think about this peace and this wholeness in our culture, and I often encourage couples to understand that to be a Christian is that only Jesus completes us. This is a very important idea that has to do with the peace that God gives us, that has to do that he makes us whole and complete. You know why? Because Jesus was complete in himself and he was single. 
We need to celebrate that some people are not only going to find peace when they get married. They're not just going to find peace when they have like seven kids. They're not just going to find peace when they're like as mature as you. They can have peace because they've understood that only Jesus completes us. Only Jesus makes us whole. Only Jesus does something in us that helps us that even when things around us that we enjoy, that we love, we lose those things, there's still peace because Jesus is with us. To be mature is to long for that in our lives. To be mature is to say, God, help me to understand what it is, like we sang, that you are enough because you complete me in a way that nothing in this world will ever complete me. It's to experience God's peace. And when Jesus is with his disciples, he's going to explain this to them. He's going to say to them, some of you don't understand this peace. Some of you want to just feel peace. And Jesus is like, I'm here to give you something so much better than that. I'm going to give you something that has to do with wholeness, with healing, with restoring. Because remember, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. At Christmas time, we get to that, right? That he's the one who restores our relationship with God. So everything that he gives to us is this peace that now he says, you can experience this. And one day when he's talking to his disciples, he says to them something so crazy. If you read this alone at home, this verse, you'd be like, I'm kind of confused. He says, there's people who don't want my real peace. They just want kind of like to feel that things are restful or things are not stressful, less conflict, right? This is what Jesus says, just to add to the complexity. He says this, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. Imagine you read this. You're like, what? You want to hear a funny story? I was once with a pastor in this uh, event that I was at, and I was trying to explain what Christianity is about. And in a moment of tension, like the pastor who was with me said, you know, at our church, we believe that Jesus comes with a sword to cut, cut everybody. And I'm standing there. I'm looking, I'm like, oh my goodness, how am I going to get out of this? But you read verses, and you're like, what is Jesus talking about? Isn't he the Prince of Peace? Jesus is saying to people that there's some of you who don't want the real peace that I've come to bring. You don't want the peace that makes you whole. You want me to give you things that you think will make your life easier. And after he says this, he says, some of you must be ready to hate your families. If you're reading this, your devotionals, you get to this in the morning, right? It's going to be a good day, friends. You go and buy a sword. Your coworker at work's like, where do you go to church? You understand that peace in the Bibles is this tension of wanting relaxing, wanting things to go easy versus Jesus saying, I'm going to make things whole. I'm going to make you complete. I'm going to help you experience healing. I'm going to give you shalom versus a feeling that things are not stressful this week. So different. And many people who follow Jesus just want the feeling of things kind of being easy. So one day, Jesus is going to tell his disciples one last time about this kind of peace. When they realize that Jesus is leaving now. And this is one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament. I'm going to read it for you, and it's found right at the end of the life of Jesus before he goes to the cross. He talks about peace again. This is what he says. He says, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I, I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, by the way. The world has a way of giving peace, giving its own things. Do not let your hearts be troubled 
and do not be afraid. Again, we have the disciples who have the movement of like, Jesus, you're leaving, so what do we want to do? Do we get to leave now? We go with you, right? Can we, can we leave all these problems? Can we leave the painful world? Can we go to where you're going to go? And Jesus is like, no, not at all. You're going to stay right here. It's going to be great. They're like, no, it's not. We just want to leave. Because if we leave, we'll feel at peace. Jesus is like, no, no. I have a peace for you that is going to come to you as you stay here. As you learn to be my disciples now, and the Holy Spirit will give you that peace. You know, as I was preparing, I just thought about this in my head. Like, what would it be like for Jesus to give me, maybe you could think about this as, as we pray, to give you a box that says, this is my peace for you. Just picture that in your mind. Just close your eyes. Just think about this in your mind. You see Jesus. He comes to you with a gift. And you can't wait to tell him about the struggles and the weight and the pressures. And he has a box that he gives to you. And he says, in this box is my peace. It's something that the world cannot give you. It's not just a feeling. It's not just a sense of resting. It's not just a season to relax because you're on vacation. It's my peace. It's my sense to you that I am making you whole. I'm healing things in you that you did not even know needed healing. I'm completing things in you in a way that only I can. This is my peace for you. Would you open that box? Would you say, I need more of this? If you open your eyes, if you're like the disciples, you're probably thinking, really, Jesus? Like, we wanted the kind of peace where you take us away from all these problems in our world. We wanted the kind of peace where you fix everything and you take us up to heaven somehow. She's like, no, no, no. I'm going to show you what it's like to have my peace in the brokenness of the world there. Something more than you can ever understand. So this week, can we think about what it would mean for us to be those who let the Holy Spirit produce this kind of peace in us? In a world that says, oh, we know how to help you if you're stressed. Oh, we know how to give you stuff that will help you feel peaceful. We know that God said, Jesus says, I don't give to you the peace like the world will give to you. And by the way, the world has so many good things for us. I'm not saying everything's bad. There's some good things. But they're not the peace that Jesus gives us. They're not just a season of rest and relaxation. They're a picture of what it's like that he is restoring things, healing things, making all things complete in a deeper way. You're going to stand, and I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And I want you to think of this image as you leave. Just stand. We're going to close in a minute here. And then I'm going to give you instructions for how to slowly move around. Let's say you came to my house. And I had a puzzle on the table. And I was doing a puzzle. And there were five pieces missing of the puzzle. And I leave and I'm like, hey, can you help me? You like puzzles? Some of you are like, yeah, they're so relaxing. I love it. I want some peace. Okay, cool do this puzzle. And I give you the five pieces. And I'm like, hey, can you finish the puzzle? I've got about five pieces. Just put them in places. What would you ask me? 
Okay, if you were my friend, <laughs> what would you ask me? You would say to me, where's the image of the puzzle? You're like, well, what's the, what's the final picture of the puzzle? Because you would want to know, like, okay, where's the bird? Like, I could try to push and flip, and, but do you have the picture? The picture helps you to know where to put the pieces. Jesus is the picture of what peace looks like. Jesus is the one that says, imitate me now, and you'll know how the pieces you're holding that don't seem to fit, you don't know where they go yet. And you're wondering if ever you're going to get an image that's going to make you feel peace. Jesus says, I am the image of the puzzle. I am the final image of what this will look like when you experience my peace. And then he leaves us with the pieces. And as we're trying to fit the pieces in the puzzle, there's a sense that we're going to be okay. Because we know what the image is that we're trying to kind of bring this all together. Now that's hard for us sometimes, because you know what we want? We want to give Jesus the pieces and say, Jesus, don't you love me? Finish the puzzle. Just do that so I can feel better. She's like, no, no. You're going to know what it's like that I'm with you as you experience my peace. You know why? Because Jesus left the heavens to enter a broken world to bring peace. That's what he did. He moved from a place of peace and entered chaos for our sake. For our sake. And when we follow him, he says to us, you know what? You want to imitate me? You're going to do the same thing. You're going to do the same thing. I'm going to teach you what it is to want everything in you to run away from chaos. I'm going to teach you what it's like to now leave you in moments where you feel the pressures, the temptations of the world that says, we have something that's going to help you relax. We have something that's going to take, make this better. We have all of these things. And Jesus said, like, careful, I do not give you peace the way you see it in the world. I give you a different kind of peace. As we pray, remember that this week. Remember that this summer, that we are those who are learning how to receive this gift of peace, that's shalom peace, a wholeness peace, a healing kind of peace, to receive that and then to model it in such a way because the Spirit is growing this in us that others would imitate us. That is spiritual maturity. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for not leaving us on our own but for coming and for not only coming to remind us of Jesus our Lord, but also to produce in us fruit, a way of life that helps us to make sense of our world, that helps us to be people who can be in a broken world when we're tempted to run away, when we're tempted to quit when we're tempted to just think of ourselves, you remind us of what Jesus did. You remind us that he did not just think of himself. He did not just quit. He did not just run away. But he entered the brokenness of our world. And he modeled for us your peace. We need that kind of peace.
Each of us here feel the pressures to look for solutions in so many other things. So this morning, we just pray that you would help us to understand that you are enough for us. That you have a peace that the world cannot give us. And that peace makes us whole and restores things in us that we don't even know how to ask for sometimes. Have your way in us this week and help us to pay attention to how you come to us with this peace. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.